Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy CDs, Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk Podcast. My name is Ryan and I'm coming to you once again from the Bat Cave. Okay, it's my basement. If you're watching this on YouTube and you've been following me for a while, you already know that. But for those of you who are new to the podcast, I am in my basement. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about media. And by media, I mean like CDs and DVDs and books, not Fox News versus MSNBC. So I want to talk a little bit about why it's become a focus for my reselling business and why it's become so important to my reselling business. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the misguided reasons people don't want to mess with media and some of the valid reasons that you might not want to mess with media and how I deal with turning CDs and DVDs and books and bulk purchases of said items into money, which is the point of this whole uh, venture of reselling. So like I said, a lot of folks just don't do media. They don't like it for a variety of reasons, some of which we'll discuss today, but it may just not fit your business model or your store. And I'm not here to try to convince anybody to necessarily add it to your mix if you're just opposed to doing it and you're not interested in it. I mentioned in a video earlier this week that one of the beauties of reselling is that you get the opportunity to work with and sell merchandise that is of interest to you um, and that you can maintain an interest in over the long haul. Because if you're not into it, you're going to you're gonna quit doing it and then it's not going to be successful. So if you're just not into media, maybe this isn't the podcast for you, but if you want to learn a little bit about how someone does media with a reasonable amount of success, um, please continue on. But I wanted to share, you know, my experience just so you could kind of see um, what goes on in the world of somebody who does sell a lot of media and maybe it would be helpful for you. Now, I recently posted a, a video in a podcast about a huge 8,000 CD lot uh, purchase that I made and I shared the buy on a few groups like Facebook groups and message boards. And while most people were positive and supportive, I did get a few messages like I always do when I talk about media that went something like this. I'd rather shoot myself than deal with 8,000 CDs. Or you paid $300 for that? I'd only pick them up if somebody paid me $300 to take them to the dump. And of course, the classic, uh, people still buy CDs. Now these comments kind of broadly fall into three categories and we'll I want to talk about them kind of in the reverse order. So let's deal first with the the people still buy CDs question comment. Uh, this is to me again, this is just an example of someone applying their personal preferences, their lifestyle or their bias onto their and in this case my business decisions. Now, I've been a business owner and or manager or have been in sales for most of the last 35 years. And the absolute worst thing you can do, in my experience, is to assume that all of your potential customers like, want, or need the exact same thing as you. As resellers, we should always be thinking about what our customers want and need, not necessarily applying our own biases to that. Now, as I said at the outset, if you're just not interested in media, that's totally valid. But to question the validity of a market that you're just not into or you don't know anything about 
to me, it just doesn't make any sense. And you're, you're applying your own thought process to a business decision. And that, that can be dangerous. Now, CDs are a classic example. I personally have not purchased a CD for myself in over five years. I've actually sold my entire personal collection. But as a business owner, I recognize that, at least in my, in my case, people for a wide variety of reasons still buy CDs. Maybe they live in an area where they, they don't have any good radio stations. They don't want to mess with streaming. Um, you know, Maybe they got an old car with a CD player with no Bluetooth. I mean, it can be any number of things. In a lot of cases, it's just the collectability. People collect salt and pepper shakers or dolls. Some folks collect CDs and records or books or whatever it is. So just because I've moved on to Spotify doesn't mean that this is no longer a viable business opportunity. And like I said, I hear the same argument for pretty much all media. You know, who still reads books now that you got the Kindle and the iPad? And who buys DVDs and Blu-rays since everybody streams nowadays? But actually, everybody doesn't do that. Some people like to own an item. And maybe they don't have the bandwidth to stream HD video or... Maybe they just like the feel and the smell of an old book. There are people who do enjoy those things. And if I made my business decisions solely on the things that I'm currently using and enjoying, I would be missing this entire opportunity in media. And like I said, many of these items, not all, of course, but many of them are collectible. There's a huge market for out-of-print titles in all media formats, be it a book or a CD or a movie. And like I said, like any other collectible, from mugs to salt and pepper shakers to stamps, there's somebody out there who wants to collect it. And just because I don't do it or you don't do it doesn't mean it's not a viable business option to supply those things to others. So again, you can certainly decide that it's not a market um, you want to play in. But to act like that market doesn't exist is, in my opinion, it's just not smart business. So, I don't know, maybe it's just a defense mechanism if you don't understand a market to just dismiss it out of hand. Um, I'll, I'll use the example. I watch Craigslist Hunter a lot. And that guy sells a ton of tools, wrenches and who knows what. I don't know anything about tools. If there was a a national contest for America's least handy man, um, I would enter. I don't know anything about tools. I can't, I can't hardly fix anything. So tools are not an area that I have any interest in or desire to learn, even though I know it's a potentially profitable opportunity. And you'll never hear me say, man, that Craigslist hunter, he's nuts looking at all those wrenches. No, he's making mighty fine money selling all those wrenches and more power to him. Again, it's an area that I've just chosen not to participate in, but that doesn't mean I dismiss it as a business opportunity. So now let's talk about the person who would just take them to the dump. They just don't see the potential value in these items. They look on eBay or Amazon and they see common CDs or books selling for three or four bucks with free shipping. And they think it's just, it's a sucker's game. But what if I told you that if you invested $900 today, in 10 months, you could profit $3,400? Would you make that investment? What about $500 into $3,800? Or $1,600 into $10,500? Or 
or maybe 700 bucks into 9500 would you would you do any of those investments nothing else no workload or anything withstanding do those sound like profitable investment opportunities because what those are are my rough gross profitability numbers in the categories of CDs, DVDs, books, and magazines in the last 10 months. And that, on the CDs, even includes the money that I just spent on this 8,000-piece buy that I've barely scratched the surface of listing. So, again, just because you may not see the profit potential in CDs or media in general does not mean that it's not there because I'm... My numbers say otherwise. I'm living proof that money can certainly be made there. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how you would go about doing that. But um, people who make an blanket, uneducated statement about any product category, I think are doing themselves and the other people who are reading that comment on a message board or a Facebook group a disservice. Now, lastly, the guy that would just rather shoot himself than deal with those CDs, that's actually, that's probably a valid choice because this working through 6,500 magazines, which I've done, or 5,000 books or 8,000 CDs, that's a lot of work. That's, it's a big, big job. And not everybody wants to work like that. And I totally get that. And that, like I said, that's, that's cool. That's a totally valid reason to not mess with media because it is a completely different thing than listing replenishables or a single more expensive item so that's valid and I, I frankly have no complaint with that guy other than if he's attacking someone who says hey you know I just made this big buy and I'm really stoked about it and he makes you feel like you're a moron <laughs> so I would never insinuate that someone else that their business decision was a bad one now some of them just empirically are bad business decisions but um, just because you don't happen to like media or don't want to put in the effort that it requires um, would not qualify. So there are a couple reasons that I personally have chosen to focus so heavily on media. And for starters, it's just I'm really into it. So I've always been a big reader, always, always, always been a huge music fan. I, I managed a small chain of record stores in the late 80s, early 90s. I owned my own CD and record store through most of the early 2000s. So I'm just really into the formats. Um, so it's a natural fit for my interests and it's a market I know reasonably well. So I can, I can look at a lot and really quickly determine whether or not it's worth messing with. So like any product category that you want to sell in, it requires a certain level of knowledge and expertise in order to be able to do it successfully. This is one I've been around for a significant portion of my adult life. So for me, it just makes sense. I also chose to do it for some financial reasons. Number one, media, generally speaking, can be picked up sometimes in enormous quantities for very, very little money. Um, the 8,000 CDs I bought, I spent $300 on that lot. I've picked up 700 books for 55 book bucks. I've bought 550 books for about $75. I bought 917 science fiction digests, um, magazines from the 50s, 60s, and 70s for $400. I even picked up, as I've mentioned in a previous video on my YouTube channel, um, almost 600 books from an estate sale 
for the cost of going to get them. So there is a, an opportunity to get big amounts of inventory for very, very low prices. This is where there can be some legitimate differences in business philosophy. And there's a school of thought, which is not wrong, that it takes just as much time and effort to list one $100 item as it does to list one $10 item. So why wouldn't you just list and find more expensive items? And that's certainly a valid business model. I'll share with you kind of the margins I'm making because of those large bulk buys. And some of you kind of big $100 item type sellers can let me know what kind of margins you're making. But my current gross margins on CDs, DVDs, and Blu-rays is 93%. On books, it's 94 And on magazines, it's 97%. So let's just take the worst of those, the CDs and DVDs and Blu-rays at 93%. That essentially means when I sell $100 worth, I will have grossed 93 bucks. How many $100 items that you sell can you purchase for $7? Because that's the number that I've got in that size of a, a sale. Now, granted, mine might be over 8, 10, or 11 transactions. So the workload to get to that number is different. But I think that margin is probably pretty pretty good in comparison to what you might have in larger items. I do sell electronics. You buy a tape deck at a yard sale for 10 bucks, and you might sell it for 40 or $50. That's not anywhere near 90% gross margin. It's good cash flow, and it's good money, but the margins in media, if you buy correctly, which is true of most categories, can be shockingly large. The other reason I like it from a financial standpoint is just regular, steady cash flow. When I buy a big lot and I get to listing immediately, I can start to see cash coming in almost right away. And it continues to come in in small but consistent amounts for a very long time to come. And in terms of cash flow, for me, it serves a similar role to replenishable items in that it just keeps giving. If I've got 4,000 CDs listed, the odds are pretty good that I'm going to sell a few of those a day each and every day. Now, obviously, it varies wildly from replenishables in that the workload is completely different. You're going to be listing and packing and shipping a lot more items to get to the same kind of number that you would get on one replenishable item. So I get that. But from a cash flow standpoint, it's very, very effective for my business. It gives me a floor that I can consistently count on kind of day in and day out. I know I'm going to do X amount of business because I'm going to sell two books, a DVD, and a couple of CDs, and I've got five or six sales totaling 50 or 60 bucks every single day. And the rest of what I sell then kind of becomes the difference between having a really good day and just eking out an existence. So don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that flipping bigger and more expensive items is a a bad business decision. Like I said at the outset, it's a totally valid business plan, and a lot of people are doing it very successfully. But when I started out, I wanted to make sure that I had some consistent cash flow and that 
scoring a lot of those big lots of little things allowed me to do that and to kind of spread my risk over a much larger sellable quantity of stuff. So that's kind of how media has worked for me from those standpoints. I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we're going to talk about some of the downsides to media. So let's get this in and I will be right back. And we're back. So what are what are some of the downsides to media? The first and most obvious one um, is the inventory. It is lots and lots of inventory. Um, I currently have on hand over 500 movies, just short of 3,000 books, almost 5,000 magazines, and closing in on 9,000 CDs with the big purchase that I just did. So that's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of listings. It's a lot of room in your shelves, in your storage unit, whatever it is, however you manage your inventory. And it's obviously, it's a lot to, to try to manage and keep track of. So the inventory and inventory control, and of course the associated workload with that are certainly a downside to media. Like I said, the guy who would rather shoot himself than deal with 8,000 CDs, that's exactly why. It is, it's a big undertaking. Like I mentioned with the replenishable, unlike a true replenishable that you buy a hundred of a single item and you create one listing and then you just sell off that listing over time, this requires constant kind of manual replenishment. You've got to keep listing more items because they're all kind of one-offs. And unless you find a wholesale supplier to sell you lots of CDs, my experience looking at that, and I've talked to some other resellers about this, is that that's not necessarily a great option. Um, if you can find like a little record store that's going out of business or a significant personal collection, those are pretty good. A lot of these wholesale pallet and the guy selling the Gaylords full of CDs, if you look at that inventory, man, it's generally pretty bad. So no, not trying to cast any aspersions on the wholesalers or people who are successful with those kind of items. But my personal experience has been that is not, that's not the path I'm going down. That's not stuff I want to mess with. So that's maybe one of the other downsides, especially if you're not super knowledgeable in the category is finding yourself stuck with a significant amount of inventory and it's not good, which of course, again, can happen in any product category, but in media, if you buy, you know, 8,000 items, there better be some good ones in there. So again, those, those space requirements are an issue. Uh, your listing capability, both the physical ability of you to list that many items efficiently can be a problem. And a lot of people just don't have the bandwidth in their eBay store or don't have an eBay store at all to financially afford to have that many listings. You've got to have the ability to have cheap listings. If you're paying 35 cents a listing, it's going to get real expensive real fast in media. And while the margins are really good, the dollar volume is so low that that, that can be a battle. So it's, I have a store, I have plenty of listings, I can afford to do it, but that's definitely a downside. If you don't have the ability 
to not only process, but financially maintain long tail inventory for a long time, media in big numbers can be pretty tricky. One of the other big downsides, especially when you're doing a huge buy, like I just did with those CDs, is there are clearly going to be some duds. It's not going to be a perfect lot. Maybe as much as half of it will not be worth listing individually. And for me, that number right now is under about eight bucks. You see, and again, I'll talk about at the beginning of the podcast, the the guy that goes on to Amazon or eBay and he sees CDs listed for $4 free shipping or $3.50 free shipping. There's no money being made there. You can't, you can barely ship it for that, even media rate. So these super low value pieces of media are not worth messing with individually. And in any given lot, and again, this this is where it's important that you kind of know a good lot versus a bad lot. As much as half of it, even in a good purchase, may not be worth listing individually. So you got a lot of potentially dead, dud inventory. And the key with media, obviously, to make any money is you've got to have a big enough selection at any given moment that somebody is likely to find something in your store. Because again, this is all log tail stuff. So that one random... You know, I sold a, a butthole surfers CD. Not everybody has that in their store. Not everybody's going to be looking for that. Maybe it'll take a long time to sell. In this case, it took 30 minutes, but there's going to be stuff. There's stuff in my, in my store right now that I listed 10 months ago that's still there and may still be there 10 months from now. But eventually, most of the, the better stuff, at least, will sell. So I want to talk about kind of how I handle and process a big lot, like the 8,000 CDs that I'm working through right now. Because you want to, even though it wasn't a huge investment, I only spent $300 on it, I want to start generating some cash flow and I want to maximize my profit potential early. So I try to work through it as quickly as I can and achieve those kind of goals. So what I do with this particular lot, I've set a goal of a minimum of two boxes a day that I'm trying to sort. And by sort, I mean separate out into the things that I think are worth selling and the things that are probably not worth selling individually. Because I have a background and some experience in media, I can go through a box reasonably quickly and sort out the commons, the stuff like, say, Nickelback or ACDC that I know are going to be super cheap sellers and they're not worth listing by themselves. And I can also identify the stuff that probably is going to be worth some money, um, particularly if they're sealed in a package. So you, you start separating those out and you make two piles, the duds and the winners. And at some point you've got, even for somebody like me, maybe half the box that you're not sure where it falls in that divide. So you start scanning them. There are multiple different ways that you can do that. You'll see different resellers that do different things. I generally just scan against eBay because that's where I'm going to sell. So that's primarily the competition. And I'm not necessarily at this point trying to set my selling price. I just want to see which of those two piles it belongs in. So if it comes in under 8 bucks, 
what I can see listed currently, it goes in the dud pile. If it's over that amount, it goes in the good pile. And I just continue to do that until I get through my two or three boxes or whatever I can stand that day. And then I've got my separate piles. You can look at Amazon. You could go to discogs.com. You could go to a variety of different sites to kind of get those values. I choose to do it on eBay because, again, that's where I'm going to sell. So that's who, by and large, I'm going to have to compete with. So now I got my two piles. I got the high-value item pile and the duds. And the goal, of course, is to get the high-value items up and listed and selling as quickly as possible. The others, the dud pile, they're ultimately, they're going to get a second sort at some point, and I will start building lots. Maybe it's two CDs, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20, but I'm going to combine them up in some fashion by artist, by genre, by style, some way that would make sense to a potential buyer, and I'm going to price them probably super cheap. If I can squeeze out a little bit of profit on these, I'd be, I'd be thrilled with that. But if I can just bust out of them for a little bit more than I got in them, I would be thrilled because otherwise they're just going to sit here or I got to donate them or trash them or who knows what. So if I can build a lot and especially I'm this big lot of 8,000 CDs, I own them for less than four cents a piece. So I can build a lot of 10 CDs and sell it for four bucks plus shipping and the buyer is getting a good deal. They're paying 40 cents a disc and I'm still making 30 cents, give or take when everything's said and done. It's not big money, but it's otherwise it's just dead inventory. That, that pile is rainy day, winter time, no estate sales. I'm out of stuff to list. I'll start working on those because I know they're not going to be profitable or at least not profitable enough, even lotted up to necessarily make me all that much money for the effort that I'm going to spend. So they are lowest, lowest priority. The other pile, even under the best of conditions, it's still a secondary priority to me because I'm still going to the estate sales and I'm still going to the garage sales and I'm picking up higher value items that will probably be quicker turns than long tail media. So even under the best of conditions, for instance, on a Monday, I'm unlikely to list any media because I've got a family truckster full of inventory that I just bought at estate sales. That's probably worth more money and will probably be a quicker sale than long tail media. So that's my priority. And I get those done. Then I start working on the, the media. So to be fair, even though it's a big piece of my business, it's still secondary, if that makes any sense. And again, I like it because it gives me a consistent floor. I know on any given day, I'm likely to sell four to eight pieces of media at eight to $12 a piece. And I've got nice steady cash flow. And even if it's not hugely profitable on those particular items, I now have some cash to go reinvest in other stuff, be it another big lot of media or next weekend's estate sales. So it's from that standpoint, it's really, really valuable. So is media right for you? Like any category, it's going to require a level of knowledge and work and effort. 
And it's ultimately on you whether or not it makes sense. My personal feeling is it's very hard to make media work on a consistent basis if you just are trying to dabble in it or you pick up a small box of DVDs and just try to throw them on there and see what it does. You need to be willing to build a pretty good inventory of this stuff to to do what it's really meant to do and make that consistent small amounts of money and cash flow. Now you can certainly find, you know, the odd antique book here and there and pay a buck or two for it and flip it for 20 or $30. And that's all good. And I do that too. When I go to an estate sale, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll cherry pick the best stuff. And then I look at kind of what's left over and make a decision if I could buy all this stuff for 10 or 15 cents a piece, would it be worth having in my inventory? And if it's a bunch of cookbooks or, you know, contemporary fiction, I don't, I don't need a hundred Clive Cussler and Tom Clancy novels because everybody has those listed. There's thousands of them out there, but if it's old, like forties, fifties era stuff or specialty books, textbooks, um, Bibles, religious items, things like that, I will probably leave my card and make an offer to buy the whole shoot and match, whatever's left at the end of the sale. So again, that knowledge level of the things that sell well and sell reasonably profitably, even when buying in bulk, is vitally important. So for me, media has been a great option. Um, I've made really good money on it over the last 10 months, as I mentioned earlier, and it's strong, consistent sell. But I'm willing to put in the time and the effort and to carry the amount of inventory that I think is required to do it successfully. And if that's something that you think you can do, I think there's an opportunity to make money in media. And if it's not, I'd recommend staying away from it. Because the likelihood of making any money on one or two Blu-rays or DVDs is pretty low. They're they're probably not worth messing with in that kind of quantity. So I hope sharing this kind of my personal experience has been helpful. Let me know. Shoot me a message. You can go to galaxycdsrocks.com and comment. There's a community board there or there's a link to my email. Uh, My email address is galaxycds at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out. Let me know what you thought about my take on media and if your opinion of it has changed at all, given what we talked about here today. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. News updates. So let's talk a little bit about what very little news there was in the reselling world this week. Um, essentially, the biggest news probably is eBay is really putting on the full court press this week for people that are in line to get transitioned over to manage payments this month. Uh, going so far as to offer financial enticements to certain users. Um, Apparently, they were offering $50 invoice credits for people who signed up by, I think it was the 10th of July. Uh, Most of the batch that are in this month's, I believe, are scheduled to switch over by the 15th. Um, All of that being said, I've talked with multiple sellers, myself included, that have been on eBay for 20 years or more that still don't have an invite to manage payments. So I'm not sure how they're determining who they're trying to switch over and when I know the plan is that by year's end, everyone will be converted. 
Um, but if there's a, a rhyme or reason to who is getting converted at what time, um, it's hard from my vantage point to see what that is. But that's kind of that's kind of the big news. I haven't heard a peep. If you are switched over to managed payments, let me know. Uh, tell me what you think of it. If you're on the list, um, tell me if you're excited about it or like many folks, filled with fear and trepidation. Um, it's a real mixed bag out there of what people think about managed payments and where where it might lead for their business. Just looking at it myself from a, a broad brush approach, I think it looks pretty good. I think I'll save a little money in fees versus paying eBay and PayPal. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it works out. Again, I sent in a request to get in line to express interest, I think is how they, how they have the button worded on eBay. And I didn't, I didn't hear a peep. I've I didn't even get a response to my expression of interest. So again, not sure quite what they're doing there, but that's where it is. If you're signing up this month, let me know how your transition goes and what kind of changes you have to make in your accounting processes to account for having switched from say PayPal over to manage payments. Um, I'd be real interested what you had to do there. And the last thing for today, um, like I said last week in the first episode of this podcast, I wanted to do a brief recap of the prior week's business. Last week was really weird. It felt like it was super, super slow. And then when I pulled the numbers, they were almost identical to last week. Um, so it was really bizarre because I had, by Friday, I was like, man, this week has just been garbage. And then I got in here this morning and pulled it up and I was just short of a thousand dollars in sales, uh, nine sixty eight sixty six. So not great, but pretty good. All things considered, um, gross margin for the week. Like we just talked about with media, the margins are pretty good. My gross margin for the week was 93.84%. So really, really solid week in terms of profit. I did sell a lot of media with free shipping this week. So my operating expenses were a little bit higher. My net profit only came in at about 54.2%, which still, like I talked about, I think in last week's podcast, um, compared to what my margins were when I owned an actual brick and mortar record store, man, 54.2% is sweet. <laughs> and I will definitely take it. Uh, it did end up being a little short of my my weekly targeted net profit dollar total. Um, again, because I think I had so much media that I had actually offered free shipping on it. So my my fixed costs, if you will, were a little bit higher than I expected. But overall, it was a much better week on paper than it felt like um, subjectively. Because like I said, by Friday, I was in almost panic mode. I had a couple of days where I didn't feel like I sold hardly anything. But the numbers tell a different story. It wasn't really, at the end of the day, not that bad of a week. Um, I'm off to a really good start to this week. I think I looked in my eBay uh, store this morning, and I've got 15 orders already for well over $200. So I've done almost 20% of what I did all of last week already today on Sunday and it's just a little afternoon. So this week's off to a pretty good start. Knock wood. Hopefully that continues. Um, I hope you're having a good week. I hope you had a great week. I hope you found this informative, maybe entertaining. You can let me know. Uh, like I said, shoot me a message, 
Let me know what you think about this, what you thought about media before you listened to this, and what you think about media now. And if you have any questions on anything that I talked about, please feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to, to either answer them directly or in a future podcast or video. And with that, I've done about as much damage as I think I can do. So we're going to call it a day. You've been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. We'll see you next time.